0: Well, good morning, everyone. Turn to your neighbor and smile. And say good morning. <clears throat> uh, I just want to do a couple things before I introduce our speaker today. We have an election coming up uh, soon in a couple weeks in November. If you're not registered to vote, I would encourage you to do that. It is a Christian responsibility, a stewardship. We actually have cards in the lobby where you can register to vote, and we'll actually take them to the courthouse for you. It's real easy to do. Next, we have some folks in our church family that's running for office, and uh, Christians, all of us are to be salt and light where we live and where we work and all sectors of the community. That's why he's left us on earth. And I want to ask my brother, Bobby Gaffney, to stand and remain standing. Okay, Bobby is uh, running for the Woodford County Judge Executive. Remain standing, we want to pray. And our sister, Bryston Dengasey Quinn, is running for Fayette County Clerk. So would you guys stand and stretch your hand down and let's just pray for them. Father, uh, to serve in government is a not an easy job. But Lord, thank you for these two. And we ask that you'd give them favor, that you'd give Bobby and Bryston wisdom, that you'd provide for them, and that most of all, you'd use them to bring you glory and to serve the people of our region. And so we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your service. Uh, Let me introduce our, our speaker today. Alan Hood has been our guest speaker for the weekend for our prayer conference. You are in for a rare treat. Alan has served in leadership for the last 20 years at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. His passions are next generation, church planning, missions, and especially working to see a global prayer movement uh, grow, and it is happening. So, Brother Allen, would you come up? Would you give him a Kentucky welcome, please? (laughs) Father, thank you for Allen. Thank you for his willingness to leave his family and to serve the body and to cast a vision for prayer, Lord, that changes everything. So give him your anointing, and may we have open hearts in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay.
1: Thank you, Pastor. Well, I am so delighted to be here this morning. How many of you were at the prayer conference yesterday? How many of you were here this morning at the first service? Got a few that snuck in to the second. Welcome you back. I, I've been so delighted to be here. I went to seminary at Asbury, and my two oldest sons were born. My father was born in Hickory, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So whatever team I say from here on, is, it's bad. Uh, it's Tar Heel. And so... Um, But we've been reconciled by the blood of Jesus and moved forward. And so, uh, but anyway, I have a vested interest in this city because two of my sons were born in this city. And those two came back and are at the seminary. One just graduated with his MDiv and is a pastor here at the Apostles Anglican Church for young adults. And his wife is the worship pastor there. And my, my middle son, my second son, Jonathan David... Um, married Christy and they're moving back after he graduates with his master's in in missions uh, to help plant churches down in South Florida. And so we have a vested interest, but I am so delighted or tickled. Do you have that word here in Kentucky? We do in Florida in the South, uh, tickled to be here with you for the last several days because when you spend some time and pray with people, you get to hear their heart and, um, Pastor Steve, I, I just love the fact you prayed for another church on Sunday morning and now I can see why he's made you that man of peace in the city and used you to rally pastors together to pray and to contend for a move of the Holy Spirit in the church and among the next generation. It's an honor to be here with you. And just the spirit of this church that um, that I've experienced in the last several days, I, I leave refreshed. How many of you know when you go and travel the world and speak, you're not always refreshed when you leave somewhere? That's a blessing. That's an added. That's a bonus. And I was truly refreshed uh, by the saints here. And I was given as much as I gave. And so I'm, I'm really blessed. Thank you. Well, I'm going to jump in this morning. I was going to do something else for this second service. In the first service, I spoke out of Psalm 139. And I spend a lot of my time preaching... Uh, to engender and sustain night and day prayer. How many of you know when you pray 24-7 for over 20 years? It, it takes a lot. Prayer can be difficult and unceasing prayer can be very intense and very difficult. And at the front of the spear, because God said in Luke 18, will not I move with speedy justice to those who cry out to me night and day? God will send forth his speedy justice. And so to keep people in the place of prayer and sustain them in the place of prayer, I spend the bulk of my time uh, encouraging them to stay the course. And I find more than anything for the success of a life of prayer is not much about the rubrics of prayer. You know, when we usually teach on prayer and intimacy, we talk about the what. What should you do? What should you pray? How should you stand? Where should you be? Should you do it alone? Should you do it uh, with someone? Should you pray the scriptures? Should you pray prophetically? All these things are the what, but I don't find the what to keep people from praying. It's more the question of who. Who are you talking to? And who do you think you are? You know, intercessions like anything else, when you When you need something and you go to a friend and you ask them, you want to know, do they have the power to answer you? Can they provide what you need? And number two, are you close enough with them for them to say yes? That's what you need to know. In fact, that's the beautiful thing about having neighbors, is that you know them well enough, hopefully, that when you need eggs, they got eggs. And hopefully you're close enough with them that they say yes when you say you need eggs. But that's the beautiful thing about neighbors. Well, it's not much different with God. Who are you praying to? Can he fulfill what you need? And is he kind enough? And are you close enough to him for him to say yes? That's what you need to know. And so most of my time as a leader in prayer is talking about the picture of God that moves the human heart to want to talk to him. You know, and that's what prayer at the bottom line really is. It's feeling safe enough to approach the Almighty and ask for things. (laughs) Now, this is a great privilege. You can't even imagine that you're the one creature made by God that gets to ask God for anything. This is unbelievable. In fact, it's, it's it's a little bit of injustice that weak little you can't get a meeting with the police chief today or the mayor or the governor or much less in the White House. But right now, if you sincerely love Jesus and are born again and filled with his spirit, you can close your eyes and stand on that sea of glass and ask God for anything. And if you ask it according to his will, he will give it to you. That's unbelievable I mean if you understood what I said You ought to leave this building Just shouting This is outrageous Are you kidding me I'm the one creature made by God For God And I get to ask for things Satan asked for God For something one time in the scripture And God said no You can't have Job You can do this But you can't do that you're the one creature made by God, for God, to ask him for things. Well, in the first service, I spoke on a hindrance to prayer, which is our view of God. Do we really see him rightly? As a matter of fact, i if I spent a few days with you, I could find out, more about you in the place of prayer, if we prayed together for a few hours a day, I could find out more about you than just small talk around a table. Because in the place of prayer is where I would hear a mother's greatest fears concerning her children. I would find out a man's greatest desires as he prayed before the Almighty. I would learn a lot about you. And, and oftentimes, um, we find ourselves praying and if I was to observe you for maybe six months and I had no Bible to read and no one else to tell me a Christian theology and I just took your words and your your uh, emotions and your your attitudes towards God as you prayed and I formulated what God would look like, what kind of God would I find? Would he look like Jesus or would he look more like Baal or Molech or another God? See, it's not what you assent to mentally. It's what you actually are in your heart as you pray. Do you see him rightly? And so this morning we looked at in the first service, Psalm 139, to see God rightly as the one who knows you, who sees you and knows you and loves you. One you can approach and ask for things. One you can approach and who long before you ever, uh, um, how do I say it? Long before you ever impressed him with your Instagram post or your Facebook page, God loved you. God saw you. God knows you. God received you. Well, in the second uh, service, I want to talk about another hindrance that usually keeps us from praying. And it's a little different. I was going to give another portrait of God that would make us want to give Him everything out of Revelation 4 and 5. But I felt moved to address this topic this morning, and it's the topic of this. We know from the Scripture very clearly, if we find ourselves in a crisis, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. If, if the enemy comes against you, or we find ourselves in a crisis, and it's the opposition has come against us unjustly, we know from the scripture, God will what? Deliver us. We can pray and God will answer. But there's a bigger question when we face the subject of revival because praying for revival is a different uh, uh, condition. Revival presumes there's something dead. You only revive what's dead. When you cry for a revival, you're assuming not just that the culture war has come against us, we're part of the problem. Will God deliver you when you're the issue? <laughs> now, I know must, y'all. Are, this must be a holy church because usually I hear some groans from folk. Who also know they're part of the issue. I guess this church is really just holy. But what do you do when you're part of the mess? When it's not just the blue state folk that God issues. When the God who looks down from heaven sees us, will he deliver us when we're part of the problem? That's what you have to answer as an intercessor. Can I cry out to God when it's my issue that's got me here? When the church wakes up and looks around and goes, Oh no. Oh my. Help. (laughs) Because really, in in actuality, there's really, we need the rubrics of prayer. There's really only two prayers that are ever prayed. It's God, you're awesome and Help! Now we put a lot of language around that, but it's all just, you're amazing, I'm not! Help! And the most articulate prayer and the most inarticulate prayer, confusing prayer, it takes the same Holy Spirit to escort them before God's throne, but when God hears them, it's just a groan and help! But the question becomes, will He answer you? When you're part of the problem. And every intercessor needs to face that question. So that you can have confidence. That when you pray. You will receive what you've asked for. So turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Now this Psalm. Are are you with me? Talk to me. I'm in the South people. Are you with me? Just nod to me. Say, you're with me. Okay, okay. You may not like what I'm saying, but just, just pretend. Say, you're with me. Psalm 27, verse 4, has one of the most amazing, amazing verses in all the Bible. I mean, every prayer person writes this, lights a candle, has a devotional. One thing I desire, that I will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord, and what? Inquire in his temple. It's so good, isn't it? I, mean, I hold the beauty of the Lord. I'll be in his house all my days. I can ask him and inquire. And we light a candle to it, I have a devotional. But, beloved, I want to let you know that seemingly devotional verse is set right in the context of arguably David's greatest crisis. It's very similar to Psalm 42. Have you ever heard Psalm 42? Uh, As the deer panteth for the water. So my soul longs after you. We put kind of a nice melody to it. As the deer panteth for. And you light a candle. You just go, oh yeah. Like a deer. But that's not what that scripture means. <laughs> Actually, it's in the midst of a crisis. And it's the picture of a deer that's running for its life. And can't get air. And is gasping for breath. And then we read the scripture down where it says, uh, you know, that his breakers crash over us. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of his waterfalls, all his breakers crash over me. And you read that and you're tempted to make it devotional. It just sounds so good. It's my deep reaching out to His deep and the water's flowing. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that at all. It means my deep, meaning my distress, is calling out to his deep because I'm being crushed by the waves that are breaking me down. And it's a man who's fallen in a waterfall. And as he tries to get up and get air, just like the deer who's running, he can't get to the top before another wave presses him to the bottom. And he's gasping. That makes the the psalm really different, doesn't it? And in Psalm 27, as we read as a good Bible student, you have to read and find the clues of what season in David's life this was when he wrote it. And so in Psalm 27, it's going to arguably be David's greatest crisis. And here comes the question. Can David... Ask God for deliverance when he's the problem. Let's read it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble... He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing. Now you're going to notice in verse 7, the mood is going to shift. Hear, O Lord. When I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I would believe. I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait. I say on the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit. We ask that you would send the Holy Spirit. He is the teacher. We are the students. We want to learn from him. We ask that you would exalt your son, Jesus, in every human heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to look at this for the next few minutes, That the remaining minutes that we have this morning. And as you begin to look in this passage, you're going to find uh, uh, there's clues in here that let you know what's going on and what period of David's life there is. As a matter of fact, in verse 2, we find out that wicked men are trying to kill David. Look at it. When wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. Now, that, that phrase in Hebrew, it, 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 it's the phrase of like a predator like a lion jumping on its prey and shattering the bones and eating and tearing the muscles and tendons. So the picture here is, it's not that wicked men want to sideline David. They don't want to just minimize his voice. They don't want to just politically maneuver him to where he doesn't have influence. They actually want to kill him. That's what's going on here. David's life... Is on the line. We find out. In the next verse. That not only his life is on the line. But the men who want to execute David. Are wealthy. Because they can afford armies. Armies have surrounded him. Now now this is bad news for David. If you want someone to kill you. You want some poor bloke to try to kill you. Because poor people might have the intention to murder you. They just don't have the resource. But when wealthy men want you dead, that's a problem. Because wealthy men can afford armies. And in this case, David is surrounded by an army. And we find out from verse 4, he's been cut off from the tabernacle. So not only does someone want him dead, though someones have resource... And in verse 4, he's longing to be in the presence of the ark and he's been separated from the ark of the covenant. He's been driven out of Jerusalem and we find out it's much worse. It's not just a national crisis. The king's been cut off. The king is being hunted. The king has been driven out. His own family, there's betrayal going on. Someone from his family has forsaken him. He writes it this way, though my mother or father forsake me, he doesn't name the person, but he gives us insight that something in his own family has taken place and it's betrayal. Then we find out in verse 12 that it's not only family members, it's his own counselors. The wise men around him have turned on him. In fact, the phrases from this scripture and other scriptures, Jesus is going to use concerning Judas. If it was my enemy that betrayed me, I could take it. But my own friend who walked with me in the throng of God, who ate a meal with me, that one did it. You can almost hear in the background... Friend, why have you come? Have you betrayed me with a kiss? David's being betrayed by family, but David's being betrayed by his own friends and counselors who've been with him for decades. This is a mess, beloved. In fact, it's a dire mess. It's the greatest crisis David has faced in his life, and he will never face another crisis as great as this, And David, in the first, really six verses, you see David in that context of being hunted, of being driven out, of being cut off from the city of the great king, of his family betraying him, and of his counselors betraying him, David says the most extraordinary things of faith. Look at it. It's just one after another. The Lord's my light. Um, He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Even when the enemy comes up against me, guess what? The Lord will hide me. He will set my feet on a rock high above my enemies. He will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, He shall hide me and my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies. And I will sing. Yes, I will sing. And David gives these declarations of faith. You're like, oh my gosh, how could you get above the storm and have that kind of supernatural faith? But in verse 7 to 9, David lets us in on the real dialogue that's going on with God. You know, if it stopped there in verse 6, I wouldn't be as impressed. If David got into the the midst of the crisis And he just said, hey, when you get in national crisis and your own family betrays you and your own friends betray you and people want to kill you, name these five things. God is light. God is salvation. God is strong. He will hide me. He will lift me up. There you go. Just name it, claim it, say it. And those are good. But they're not the whole story. Because in seven to nine, we find out that David's not in this predicament just because of his enemies. It's his sin that got him there. It's his iniquity that's brought him to this place. It's his doing that's put him here, And his sin is no small matter. In fact, he's here with his own son, Absalom... The only context that fits all of these descriptions is when Absalom, his own son, has betrayed him, turned on him, and driven him out of the city, and is going to hunt him with his own army. And his own counselor has joined Absalom. But do you know why Absalom's there? Do you remember the words of the prophet Nathan? Do you remember when David, when kings went out to war and David looked over the rooftop uh, on his ceiling, on his rooftop, he looks over the balcony, he sees Bathsheba, he then brings her in, has her for himself, she gets pregnant, he then murders her husband Uriah. And he thinks he's gotten away with it and the prophet comes in. And the prophet uses a parable that could only touch David's heart, and unlike any other, David, as a shepherd, the prophet uses a parable, an illustration of a poor man who had a little ewe lamb. How many little ewe lambs had David reared and raised and played with and protected? Have you ever seen a little ewe lamb? And the prophet comes in and says, David, there was a poor man who had a little ewe lamb. And the ewe lamb was so precious to the family that they would let the ewe lamb eat with the family and sleep with the children. And you can almost say, David go, oh yeah, that's the best. I've spent many days, many a night on the hillside in Bethlehem out in the cold, I letting the ewe lamb eat from my plate and sleep on my pillow. It's the best. (laughs) I mean, for David, this is like the best little puppy you've ever seen. That you have you ever have you ever done that with a little little puppy? You put your finger in the peanut butter and you 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 lick some and you let them lick some. You've never done that, (laughs) beloved. You have not lived. Now, if you do that with your grown dog, you're committed. But, but with a puppy, that's easy. Can you imagine David here? And he had a little ewe lamb. But there was a rich man who had many flocks and many ewe lambs. Many, many, many. And that rich man had a visitor come in, a stranger. And so instead of taking one of his lambs, He took the poor man's ewe lamb and then killed it and served it to the stranger. Can you imagine David at this moment boiling over with rage? Who is the man he will pay back four times over and even with his own life? And that's when the king explodes. Who's the man? You remember the story as the prophetic finger? You're the man. David, you're the guy. Uriah had a little you lamb. God would have gave you up to half of the kingdom if you would have but asked for it. But instead, you not only take Uriah's wife, you rob his heritage. Can you imagine that? Stealing another man's heritage. Uriah will have no descendants. He not only takes his wife, he takes his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-grandchildren. You're the man, David. And because you did this thing, your own words will judge you. You will lose four sons. You will lose Bathsheba's first son, You will lose Amnon who rapes your daughter. You will lose that son. You will lose Absalom. You will lose Adonijah. You will pay four times over what you took. And because you slept with Bathsheba in private, one from your own household is going to drive you out of the city and sleep with your wives in public. Do you know what sleeping with the king's wives in public means? Overthrow. Overthrow. Your own son is going to overthrow you, drive you out of the city and sleep with your wives in public. And then the prophet leaves it there. Did you know that? Go back and read the passage. There is no promise of recovery. There's only a promise that one from his lineage will sit on the throne. But there is no promise that David will ever enter that city again. That's why David has a hard time. One of the reasons with disciplining Absalom, he feels like he deserves it. And on this particular day, David is driven out of the city... He goes over the Mount of Olives and he goes into the Judean wilderness. And as he goes, Zadok, the priest, comes with the ark and says, I've got the ark. I'm here to support you. And David says, take the ark back. If God wants me back, that's up to him. I deserve this. And as he's continuing to walk, do you remember? One of the descendants of Saul, Shimei, is throwing rocks at him, cursing him. You dog bloods all over your hands. Now it's being exposed who you really are. And what you really deserve is throwing rocks at David and cursing him. And Abishai, one of the sons of Zariah, says, Can I go over and cut his head off, David? How dare that dog curse you? David looks at Abishai and says, Oh, you sons of Zariah, you're always trying to cut people's heads off. You guys just want to kill people. Stop it. Stop it. The Lord has sent him to curse me. Perhaps as the Lord hears him, the Lord will have mercy on me again. And as he's walking in the Judean wilderness with those who have been with him for decades, David doesn't know the end of the story. All we are let in on is a dialogue where David, similarly to Psalm 51, goes, I'm sorry. I did it. Do not turn your face away from me. Do not be angry with me, O God. Have mercy upon me. Have you ever been there? When it's your fault. And in that moment, I picture it like a... There's no way to describe it. I picture it like like that feather on Forrest Gump. Do you remember that white feather that every time... Uh, force got in a, a bind and it looked bad suddenly he'd be in the worst scenario and suddenly the feather would just float down and everything would change you remember, anybody did y'all ever see forrest gump do you people watch movies <laughs> that feather floats down and the feathers this He hears God say, seek my face. And suddenly, he knows the story's not over. He said, my heart leapt, your face will I seek. Now, why? Why does he have hope in that moment? Just when he hears God say, seek my face. What, why would he, why would the whole thing shift on that moment and now he has six things to declare in faith? Why, why? Because decades earlier, he was in the Judean wilderness running for his life when he heard the same thing. When his own sin got him there. Do you remember when, when David was on the run, he heard from Jonathan that, that Saul actually did want to kill him? Saul's killed his thousands, but David, his ten thousands, and now Saul's jealousy is reared up, and he wants to kill David, and David flees and goes to, with some of his mighty men, flees and goes to the town of Nob, N-O-B, Nob, where the priesthood is. And the priesthood, the high priest goes, hey, David, what, what? What are you here for? And everybody's walking on eggshells because everybody knows Saul wants David dead. And this is going to look like, if they help David, like the priesthood is in support of David, because everybody knows that Samuel has prophesied him to be the next king. So it'll look like a coup d'etat, it'll look like a conspiracy, and the high priest goes, "Hey, what are you? Hey, wait, hey, hey, what are you doing here?" And he goes, well, I'm on a special assignment from Saul. (laughs) It's a lie. He lies. I'm on a special assignment from Saul. And I had to leave so quickly that I didn't have any food. Do you have any food? We only have the showbread. Oh, that's great. I'll eat the showbread. He eats the showbread. Then he goes, oh, and by the way, I had to leave so quickly. I don't even have a weapon. And you're going, wait. You're on an assignment from Saul as a military officer. And you're not carrying a sword Are you sure he sent you? Yeah, 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 I'm on assignment. I had to leave. It's urgent. I've got to go. Do you have a sword here? No, only Goliath's sword. He goes, there's no sword like that. Give me that sword. And he takes he takes Goliath's sword and he leaves. There's only one problem there. There's a guy by the name of Doeg the Edomite who's overheard the whole thing, thinks it's a conspiracy, and goes to Saul and says, the priesthood's in cahoots with David. Saul says to his guard, go kill all the priests. They go, "Uh uh-uh. We're not doing that. Doeg goes, I'll do it. Doeg goes back and kills all the priests in Nob, the high priest. And only the son of the high priest escapes. Can I ask you a question today? Have you ever told a lie that's got all the priesthood killed? We read those Old Testament stories. We just kind of... Really fast. No, that, that that. Do you know how many people died that day because of David's lie? David, the lying doesn't stop. David then goes to Achish, the king of Gath, a Philistine king, and asks for refuge. There's only one problem: when he goes in and asks for refuge, he has Goliath's sword on his side. Not a good idea. And the king says, is that Goliath's sword on your side? You kill our hero and you come in here flaunting his sword? You're a dead man. David knows he's in trouble, so what does he do? He fakes like he's insane. (coughs) Slobbering and rolling around on the ground. (coughs) And the king Achis goes, is this what Yahweh does to his heroes? If this is what he does to his heroes, just leave him him alone. David leaves and goes to southern Judea. And the other most popular prophet in the whole nation, Gad, comes to him and says, hey, God will protect you. Don't you leave southern Judea. God will deliver you. The only problem is Saul has hired 3,000 assassins to hunt him down every day any anybody here been to israel raise your hand it feels like it's about the size of this room it is so small when an american goes to israel you're like whoa this is small that little area of southern judea and 3000 hired assassins are following you on a daily basis twice god delivers david supernaturally And then after he's delivered the second time, suddenly the next verse is, David became afraid and fled southern Judea and disobeyed the prophet. He sets up camp in a city called Ziklag. And there his men do some raiding assignments. But they find themselves, in not so short of a time, fighting for the Philistine kings against Israel. And praise God, the four other Philistine kings go, we don't trust that God. He's going to turn against us in the middle of the battle and fight against us. And Achish goes, no, he's with us. He's been with us for years. Praise God, God delivers David. And the other four kings go, go home, we don't trust you. But when David goes home with his mighty men, they find out an Amalekite raiding army has raided the city And enslaved all of the wives, the children, and taken all of their possessions. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever led so badly, you got all your people's wives and children enslaved? If you have, don't raise your hand. It says in the Bible at that point that David's men sought to stone him. But do you know what the Bible says about David? He strengthened himself in the Lord and cried out. In other words, he heard a phrase, seek my face. And the Bible records, different Psalms record that David says, God, you know my tears, you've kept them in your bottle. I never wanted to be king. My life's been hell ever since that prophet showed up at my dad's house. I never wanted this, I only wanted to be on the hillside. There's only one thing I've ever wanted. That's to dwell in your house. That's to behold your beauty and inquire in your temple. I didn't want to be king. I wanted to be with you. And I failed at every turn. I'm sorry. You know what happens? Within 24 hours, Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead. Within a few more days, David gets every child and every wife, and not only their possessions, but all the other possessions. And within a few more days, he's going to be anointed as king in Hebron. And you know what David says in Psalm 18, verse 19, about the whole dilemma? He goes, the Lord delivered me because he what? Delights in me. Delights in you. He knew my heart. I wasn't prepared for the pressures. I'm sorry. And you know what he says in verse 35? He makes a declaration. Do you know what's going to make me a great king? It's not going to be my charisma, it's not going to be my insight. It's not going to be my brilliance. It's not going to be my power. His gentleness will make me great. Beloved, have you ever hit the wall of your own string? Where your devotion wasn't that impressive? Impressive. Where your resolve wasn't that enduring. Where what you had in your heart, you weren't able to do. And you find yourself, along with a lot of other people like that, needing revival. Well, the good news is the feather falls down for David. And God's going to deliver him in this instance. Because, you know, if God went and delivered him, it wouldn't only meant David's going to die. It means his son Solomon, who's been prophesied to be on the throne, is going to die. And if Solomon dies, the house of the Lord does not get built and Messiah doesn't come through his lineage. You ever had that kind of thing on the line? Do you know what Isaiah 55 will say because of this? It will call the new covenant the sure mercies of David. What Christ has done for you, Isaiah calls the sure mercies of David. Oh, I tell you, have you got a revelation of that? Well, if you're living in America now, you better get it. You better get it. You better. In the midst. Of the mess we find ourselves in. You better get that. The mess we find our families in. You better get that. The mess we find our children in. You better get that. The mess we find our marriages in. You better get that. Do you hear the spirit? My gentleness will make you great. Seek my face. Beloved, this is an hour where the church is not to strut. It's an hour where we need a revelation of the mercy of God. Because I want to tell you, strutting is when you aren't part of the problem. But it's not prophetic for me to tell you you're part of the problem. We need a revival. Church of the Savior needs a revival. Lexington needs a revival. Every red state in America needs a revival. There needs to be a breathing on us like we have never felt to where we begin to live the gospel as well as proclaim it. But it will be one thing. One thing. God's kindness that does it. You say today, you know what? I believe that. I'm going to set my face to seek his face. How many of you, where you hear this news this morning, you go, I can do that. I can do that. If he's like this, I can do that. I can seek him for revival in Lexington. I can seek him for a move of the spirit and church of the savior. I can do that. If that's what it is. Or else we just pretend that our, as our families are devastated. As our marriages are being assaulted. We're, we're, we think it's actually California's the problem. The truth is. You know it's much closer to home. And the Holy Spirit. In his kindness is calling us to repentance. Going seek my face. Come on. Come on. I've got something bigger than just legislation. I want to I change the heart of my people. <laughs> I want a burning and shining lamp <laughs> that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Come on, come on. How many of you go, that, that's where I'm going? Just raise your hand. How many of you go, that's where I'm going? Well, if that's where you're going, stand on your feet right now. Let's just make a stand before the Lord. I, I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to seek his face. We have the worship team come up. This morning, I'd like to end it this way. If it seems right, if it doesn't, the pastor can come up and redirect it. But it always helps me to take a stand. Like it it just helps me. If you go, you know what? I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to seek his face for my marriage, for my children. For my heart, I'm going to seek His face. For my church, my city, my nation, my world, I'm going to seek His face. This is an invitation. I hear the Holy Spirit going out all over the nations going, Seek my face, guys. I'm forming a global upper room for a great outpouring of the Spirit. I know you're part of the problem. Will you seek my face? How many of you know the apostles in that upper room were part of the problem? But if that's you, I want to invite you to come down you go I want to set my forehead like flint I want God to be able to breathe his merciful prayers through me I want to begin to seek him at another level not bravado but you go you know what the spirit is prompting my heart I need to re-engage for fresh seeking his face whether you win at the ballot box or not, you go, I, there's a there's a higher court in heaven and a higher king who sits on the throne. And I'm going to begin to cry out and seek his face because he can do something. He raises kings up. He tears them down. He shifts the times in the season. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I'm going up. By all means, vote, but seek his face. If that's you this morning, you go, I... I I stood. I, I want to seek his face. I want to invite you down. I want us to make a stand before the Lord right here. I want the Lord to help me do my part. We've got to have a move of the spirit for our children. For our families. Because you can't legislate our children to come back to Jesus. We've got to have an outpouring of the Spirit like we've never seen. This nation has seen so many moves of the Spirit. One awakening, two awakenings, Azusa, the healing revivals, the Jesus movement, the little touches like Brownsville. He doesn't owe us a third. Most nations never get as many as we've ever touched. He doesn't know us anything. But oh, can you hear him go? But if you seek my face, I have the sure mercies of David. I'll open up the windows of heaven. Even when you're part of the problem, I'll do it. That's you this morning. Just before the Lord, say, God, I want to respond. I want the spirit of prayer to begin to rest upon my life. I want the Lord to ignite my heart to trust in his mercy for my children, my grandchildren, my marriage, my neighborhood, my school, my city, my nation, my state. Oh God, break in and begin to call out upon God, seek my faith. Seek my faith. I don't normally do this but you know that second song the song you let us in about awake there the anointing was on that would you come back and would you be open to singing that in just a minute David said when I heard you say seek my face my heart leapt. your face will I seek father we take our stand upon the sure mercies of David We take our stand upon your utter kindness, God, to have mercy upon us. We ask for a great move, a great outcrying in our hearts to seek you, that you would break in on behalf of our families, our marriages, our children, our grandchildren, our churches, God. Oh, Father, have mercy. Break in with your power. Send a mighty wave of revival. To every church in Lexington, to every church in Kentucky, oh, would you sweep through God and awaken us by the power of the Holy Spirit when we lift up our weak prayers, would you see faith in your mercy, God? And would you wake us up and breathe on us again? That even if the whole world turned against you, we would be on fire with our oils our oil in our lamp and our lamps trimmed, ready for the coming of the master. Filled with light and love. Equally yoked to Christ. Do it, God. Send the spirit of revival upon us. And awaken us in prayer in Jesus' name.
2: The Savior's robe as he walks into the room where people pray, where we hear praises, he hears faith. There is a sound I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's robe as He walks into the room where people pray, where we hear worship, he His praise. Aloud, sing his praise aloud.
0: of the Lord today, the word of the Lord to David, to our church in this city. The question is, will you seek my face? Will you? Yes or no? Will you seek his face? Yes or no? Will you make that the one thing? Yes or no? The Lord said, Seek my face, and my heart replied back, Your face, O Lord, I seek. Say it with me, please. Your face, O Lord, I seek. Lord, we ask for the outpouring of prayer, the outpouring to seek your face, the outpouring to obey you, to humble ourselves, not to run away from you when we sin, but to run towards you to rest in your arms like the ewe lamb, to seek your mercy, your forgiveness, and your help. Lord, we pray for a new day where you look at our city and you see a heart full of people of all ages that seek your face. We say yes, Lord. Our focus and our priority is to seek your face. If there's any in this room that have not given their heart to Christ, you may be 14 or 12 or 80. Why don't you make sure you're on the team and you belong? If that's you, you're watching online. Just say with me with all your heart, say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Be my Savior and Lord today because I surrender and I will spend my life seeking your face and serving you you give me a home in heaven cleanse me of my sin and make me your child serve the lord well god bless you stay and linger if you wish pick up your children but enjoy the presence of the lord seek his face amen
1: Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow
3: Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thank you again for tuning in. We hope to see you next week.